logistics, warehousing, and fulfillment are the clear winners this year. The segment of industrial real estate has remained strong and resilient throughout the course of the pandemic, according to Price Waterhouse Coopers. In large part due to the surge in demand for e-commerce, food delivery services, home improvement retailers, and to a lesser extent, medical supply companies. Much of the country continued to see tight market conditions, according to the CBRE's report for the second quarter of 2020 last year. The availability rate has edged up, but at only 3.5%, it's well below the 10-year average of 5.1%. Chad Griffiths is an industrial real estate broker who has completed over 500 transactions with clients ranging from local companies to institutional owners. He joined me this week to share his passion for industrial real estate and to provide a gauge of where the industry currently stands. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Inquiring minds want to know where exactly did Griffith's passion for the profession of industrial real estate originate from? Thus, that's exactly how we kicked off our lively and informative conversation. A great question, Kevin. I, it's, it's interesting. I actually stumbled into industrial real estate. So a lot of people are familiar with real estate, like homes or perhaps shopping centers or office buildings. But I actually, for the last 17 years, I've been focused on industrial real estate. So like warehouses and manufacturing centers. And I stumbled into it accidentally uh, just because I was the brokerage that I happened to join in 2005. And I didn't even know what industrial real estate was at the time, but uh, I, uh, my office was heavily involved in it. There were some mentors that, that I had that I looked up to that got me in the right direction. And, and over the last 16 or 17 years now, I can say I'm very glad that I found it because it's just been an awesome industry to work in. Absolutely. And now I want to know all about your ups, downs, and everything in between. How do you think you've grown as a person since entering the field, buddy? Yeah, I, I like how you're digging into that because I, a lot of people like talking about uh, the ups that they have, but the downs also tell tell the full story. So I, I've, I've had some career successes, winning some awards and being recognized for a few different things, which I'm very grateful for. But I also had a lot of setbacks and downs uh, in the industry. When I first started learning, uh, I made a number of mistakes. I made some mistakes that cost me financially. I didn't get sued, but I had to basically pay to fix the problems. That hurt. 
Uh, and then just the, the embarrassment of making a, a public mistake early in my career, that was also uh, embarrassing as well. So I'd say that the downs, I had a lot more downs in the beginning of my career as I was just trying to get established and trying to learn the, learn the business. Uh, fortunately, I haven't made uh, as many mistakes in recent years, but uh, that's something that I always have to keep on top of is, is to try to avoid making those mistakes. Because if I make a mistake, it's going to affect one of my clients. Uh, so I, I really try to avoid those at all costs. You know, Chad, I always say that life is a growing experience. And when you uh, close your mind off to, to learning is when you die. So I think we're all learning and evolving, right? In every aspect of life. That's a great point. So, and I know that you were recently uh, given or named the Industrial Influencer of the Year by a Globe Astonish. So tell me, what do you think that honor means to you? And uh, where do you think that ranks in your career, bud? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for noting that, Kevin. And, and I guess it's similar to, uh, to you with your podcast, Let's Have the Conversation, where I've done a lot of work behind the scenes that a lot of people probably don't appreciate. I know you've got a pretty good following on YouTube and people value the content that you're putting out there. And for me, I've been doing a YouTube channel for the last year, trying to just build out some information so that people can learn more about industrial real estate. And hopefully I have some wisdom or knowledge to share with them. So to be recognized by uh, the magazine as, as being an industrial influencer, it was just a, a nice pat on the back saying that, uh, that we appreciate the work that you're doing and here's some recognition for it. So I, I was very grateful uh, to, be to be named on that. And yeah, th thanks again for bringing that up. Absolutely. And now I want to dive into uh, some industry uh, specifics. As you know, uh, COVID-19 has affected a lot of things and, and uh, with people staying at home and not venturing out as much. I'm curious to get your thoughts on the current state of industrial uh, real estate as an industry, Bonnie. Yeah, it's it's fascinating from the standpoint that we would have thought that there would have been more disruption when COVID was was first coming out in March, late or uh, mid-March of last year. I thought there'd be a lot more long-term implications for the, for the real estate market and the economy as a whole, but it turned out that industrial real estate has actually fared very well. And I think that that's just a product of a lot of people shifting their habits from going to the store, buying things at a store and bringing it home to now ordering it online and have it delivered to their house. And when that progression has, has evolved, what that meant is that there, there needs to be a lot more warehousing in the supply chain of getting things from where they're made to a warehouse to ultimately to the person's house. So that warehousing side of industrial real estate, and we're all probably familiar with it. I'm guessing you have an Amazon fulfillment center in Windsor now, or, or at least one very close to Windsor, where uh, there, that, wasn't even, that didn't even exist five or 10 years ago. Uh, in my market, uh, Amazon just did a million square foot facility, and they've got plans to do another two and a half million square feet worth of, of uh, industrial space as well. So the the e-commerce side of the business has really put a lot of demand on warehousing to the point that uh, a lot of that industrial real estate is now priced at record highs. So uh, COVID hasn't been friendly to certain areas. Like it hasn't helped the the restaurant industry or the hospitality hasn't helped the office market and it's it's still hurt retail but on the industrial side industrial still done remarkably well yeah and you brought up the whole uh 
working from home and shopping from home. And so that leads into my next question. How do you think from an efficiency standpoint, well, so many people opting to do that can be viewed as a net positive for the industry as well? It's funny because I, because I am really involved in industrial real estate, you would think that I'd be biased towards being a, a big supporter of it. But I actually think that there could be some long term pain that comes with it. And going back to these large distribution centers, quite often these these big fulfillment centers are offering a very poor wage. And by poor, in comparison to what uh, some other industries will offer, they get a, a they get a low wage as a salary, and then they also pay low property taxes. So I think that if if that does keep growing, if we keep seeing more growth in e-commerce and more contraction in the traditional retail space, that could result in more people earning less money. And it could also result in fewer tax dollars being collected by all the municipalities, which as you know, Kevin, that's, that's what's needed to run, run a city. Uh, the city, they rely on property tax revenue to fund their, their operations. And if we see property tax revenue decline, then there, there's going to have to be some offsetting effect where either other properties get taxed more or there's less services. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of industrial real estate and I, I spend all my, all my uh, working hours working in that industry. But I do think we should also be concerned about what it could mean years or perhaps decades down the road. And Jed, tell me, I'm, I'm curious as we enter the uh, last third of the year, what are your uh, industry professionals talking about when you get together? What do you think is the industry trends that'll have people talking as we end this year and go into uh, 2022? One interesting one that I'm watching, and, and I've actually seen it starting to develop over the past couple of years, is uh, indoor or urban farming, as it's often called. Uh, and I've actually been involved in a couple of these transactions. Well, they'll, they'll take a large warehouse space and actually convert it into vertical farming. Uh, so everything's done in a closed environment. Uh, there's regular monitoring. Uh, they, they water everything. They're basically growing all types of food in warehouse space. And I think that this is interesting from the standpoint that it will add a new dimension of the food supply and perhaps take that off uh, stuff being imported from other markets to now being grown in your own backyard, albeit in a warehouse, uh, on how that will actually affect the supply chain and how it will affect prices for food. So that, that's an interesting one that, that we're watching. And I also think uh, an, another one will just be how much e-commerce continues to grow. Uh, and with that, not just e-commerce for dry goods, but even for cold goods, uh, because a lot of stuff, especially food naturally has to be stored in cold environments. So one trend that that is popping up is will we see more cold space, like a large warehouse that's devoted entirely as a cooler uh, to product that just needs to be cold or frozen in the process of being delivered. So those would be the two that uh, that I think are of most interest that probably isn't on a lot of people's radar, but uh, should be something to watch going into the future here. Yeah, and you brought up the price of food and supply chains, and certainly uh, as we go to the grocery store, uh, grocery prices are uh, going up steadily because there uh, there's more demand than there is product, and 
getting around to the consumer is is becoming uh, more uh, challenging. So I'm wondering, from your perspective, as we look at uh, food and uh, sort of the industrial uh, impact of that, how do you think uh, we, we'll see that in the pocketbook, I guess, when we go to the grocery store? Well, I, I would hope that this recent run of inflation that we've had uh, doesn't continue, uh, because if it does, I believe the number was 4% last quarter is that that the inflation went up quarter over quarter. That, that's not sustainable. If we're all going to start seeing those types of increases in all the consumer goods, then it's, it's just make it prohibitively expensive to start uh, uh, buying certain types of food. And I think everyone will have to be a lot more conscious of what, what they purchase at a grocery store. So I would hope that some of these innovations that are coming down the road like vertical farming uh, or more advanced cold storage where things can be shipped and, and stored more efficiently. I would hope that there's some innovation in there that it does drive down the, the cost of not just groceries, but everything across what we order on a day-to-day -day basis. Because I'm sure like you, Kevin, I'm, I'm getting tired of the cost of things that I want to buy exceeding the amount of revenue that I have coming in. Everything goes up except wages, right? <laughs> isn't, isn't that the sad truth? <laughs> Everything goes up but wages. Absolutely. Uh, and Chad, I'm, I'm curious to ask you about investing in a commercial uh, and industrial real estate in terms of the, princip the principles you have to have to sort of make a, a smart investment when you're looking to invest in this type of real estate. Yeah, I've got two main criteria when I'm looking at an investment and it's it's the start of, of, of evaluating it, not, not meant to be everything that I include, but just the start. And that's the first is that I always think long-term with these investments. Uh, my typical holding period that, that I'll analyze a property that I'm considering is 10 years. Uh, so I, I'd per perhaps go as short as five if I had to, but I like doing a 10 year hold because there, there's always going to be aberrations in the economy. There's going to be factors that influence the value of the property, irrespective of anything that I can do. So I, I'm, I believe that if you hold the property long enough, you'll, you'll weather those short-term blips. So that's key to me is to have a long-term horizon. I, I don't, I don't think it's easy to make money in this business at the best of times. And if you're an investor considering a very short time frame, I think it's even harder. And then the second uh, main criteria I have is to always look at my downside risk first. So I'm, I'm more of a conservative investor as opposed to some uh, bullish investors who, who might just think that everything that they do is going to work out. I almost take the approach that everything I'm going to do is going to fail. So I try to get ahead of that beforehand and really have a, a firm understanding of what my downside risk will be in a property. So what happens if the tenant goes uh, goes bankrupt or if they leave or if they decide not to renew their lease and that property becomes vacant, what will I be able to lease that property out for at that time or what will it be worth if I need to sell it? And as long as I have a firm understanding of what that downside risk is and I'm projecting a 10-year horizon on this anyways, then I start making some assumptions on how the property could look in best case scenario or most likely scenario. And if all of that comes together and it looks like something I want to be married to for 10 years, because this is a long-term commitment. And if I can see myself being passionate about this, this property in 10 years as I am today, then I'm going to, then I'm likely going to go forward with it. 
Hey, Chad, there's nothing wrong with being a forward thinker. As a uh, journalist and podcast host myself, I always like to be one step ahead. So there's nothing wrong with that, buddy. Yeah. Well, and so, you're doing that you're, with your channel. You've, you've got an awesome uh, group of people that you've interviewed. I love your interview style. You are, you're more than one step forward. I think you're, you're way ahead of the curve in terms of what you're offering to your audience. Well, I appreciate the compliment. And I, I, I hear your Canadian accent. So I'm, <laughs> I'm curious for you, what's the best part about being Canadian for you, Bonnie? You know what, I think that the best part about being Canadian is that we are a community. Uh, and and I don't mean that in the sense that it's a it's a neighborhood of people. I think it's a, I, I mean that more of a general term where we do look after each other and we see that not just in the communities, it, it extends well beyond that to the po point where we've got uh, medical care for anybody who needs it. Uh, I hear about people in the States, if they have, have a bad injury and they don't have insurance for it, it could mean their entire life savings just because they had an accident. Whereas in Canada, I think that there's a sense that we all have a responsibility an obligation and a duty to take care of one another. And, and I don't sense that when I visit the US, I, I get, I get more of a feeling that in in the US, they're more fend for yourself. Uh, everybody is, is, I don't want to say on their own, because maybe that that makes it sound a, a little bit too cruel. But it's not nearly the same as Canada, where we do look after each other, uh, whether it's a neighbor across your fence, or whether it's someone on the other side of, of the country. I think we have that that patriotic duty to want to make sure that we move forward as one Canada as opposed to fragmented. And I know it's not always like that. Uh, the, like there are breakdowns in that in that process and there are there are cracks in the cement but i think as a mentality at least i that that's what i think i'd be most proud of as a canadian i'm tempted to uh, break out and sing i am canadian chad thanks for that answer <laughs> buddy uh, and I, i'm also wondering chad for you what's the best part about living life personally uh, you know what i i great question too kevin i i would say the the best part is that I have a career that I legitimately love doing. Uh, I, I love, I love waking up in the morning and tackling the day and, and seeing what it's going to bring. And I've got an amazing family with, with uh, a wife and, and two young children who are just amazing. Uh, and so I, I'm really blessed. I, I'm really fortunate that, that I have that family. That's a great support system. And I have a career that I love. So I really don't have many, many things to complain about. Yeah, and my final question for you is, how do you think you want your uh, personal and uh, professional legacy uh, to be defined? Uh, that's another great question. I, I would say that I, I'd really like to be remembered, whether it is professionally or personally, I'd, I'd really like to be remembered as somebody that was willing to help without needing uh, needing a thank you or needing something in return, uh, whether whatever that was, if it was a work colleague, if it was somebody that I know, if it was a friend or family member, I'd like to think that I was always available to help without having my hand out to get something back in return. I, 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 in, a, in a very short sentence, that's, that's what I would say. Fantastic. And tell me finally, Chad, if people want to get connected with you, what's the best way they can do that? 
Yeah, thanks, Kevin. I, I've so like I mentioned at the beginning, I have a YouTube channel where I talk about industrial real estate. Uh, so uh, I'd love it if anyone was interested, they want to go and check it out. I know it's not for everybody. If you're not invested in, or not uh, involved in industrial real estate in any capacity, you might not have any interest to you. But if you are interested, just search my name in YouTube, uh, Chad Griffiths, or you can just search industrial real estate and uh, my video should pop up. Fantastic. Well, Chad, you know, I filled up a, a notebook while we were talking, and I want to thank you for your uh, uh, insightful insight and providing me some time in your schedule to uh, go over your uh, passion, both in life and professionally. Really great uh, talking with you this afternoon, and I want to thank you for being here. It's most appreciated. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. And those were fantastic questions. Very well thought out. I had, to, I had to really think about a few of those. So well done. You're an awesome host. And I look forward to catching more on your channel as well.